Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. I'm Matt Shockey, and across from me is Jeff Hudson, as always. And before we begin the show, Jeff Hudson always puts the beer into history, politics, and beer. And this time, Jeff, we have a nice blue can that matches your blue eyes. It's sparkling over there, just like your eyes are. Oh, thanks. (laughs) What do we have? We have a beer from Dogfish Head, which is out of Milton, Delaware, a very famous craft brewery. Comes up with different things from time to time. And they call this their Liquid Truth Serum IPA. Liquid Truth Serum IPA. It has four different kinds or four different forms of hops, not oh, kinds. Good Lord. It has the whole leaf hop, the liquefied hop, the pelletized hop, and the powdered hops. That's my favorite hop, the powdered hop. <laughs> well, those are types. They're right. not Simcoe and Citrus and these other types, but they're different forms that hops can. And they're put in the the uh, the brew uh, not after the boil. The boil, is, they say, is that's when it gets bitter. So this is going to be really hoppy and not bitter, maybe. All right. Well, I... I am going to open one as well. I'll have one. But I will tell you, I am cheating here tonight because on the side, I have a Lancaster Milk Stout, uh, which is an awesome beer. Um, but I am going to, because as listeners know, I'm not a big IPA fan. But Okay. I, 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 for me, I, I... I can already smell it. <laughs> you smell the hops? I can smell the hops. Yeah. But they said it, it wouldn't be bitter, and it does not have that really bitter aftertaste that really hoppy beers usually have. All right. But so anyhow, you try. You're okay. a little more of a beer sissy. All so. right. Here we go. That's interesting. <laughs> I Because you – let me tell you what's so interesting about that is that when you bring that up to your nose, man, it is just – you can just smell the hops. And when you drink it, you're just waiting for that huge bitter – yeah. And you don't get it. You don't get it. I'm not going to say it's my favorite beer. I mean, the milk stout to my left here is certainly over this. But that's if you want to try a IPA, then you want to try that just a hop flavor without the bitterness. This dogfish head liquid truth serum, this is it. Right. I think they did what they set out to do. I think they did as well. I can, I, I'm going to. I'm going to finish the milk stout, definitely. And I'm also going to definitely um, finish this one as well. So good, good. It's a nice can, too. And look, the little hops are jumping in the pool there on the side of the can. Yeah, the whirlpool. Nice. All right. All right. Okay. So let's get crack a here on the big topic. And um, we're trying to pull stuff out of the news a little bit. We're going to talk about Trump's wall. Um, the national emergency we might be facing. And this is... There's a lot going on here, um, and I think we need to really start with some basic stuff, branches of government. We need to go back to like ninth grade civics class and talk about the roles of each of the branches of the government and what is the job because this we're, – we're struggling right now, right? What's the president do? What's Congress do? Even what the Supreme Court does. So, Jeff, you've taught government a year or two um, or 30. 30. (laughs) (laughs) And you taught advanced placement kids. And your kids scored outstanding on the 
uh, AP exam consistently. Um, so you know your stuff. So give us a primer on the checks and balances and the branches of government. Well, well, right. There's these things in the Constitution. They're called delegated powers. Uh, and what that means are, are the powers specifically given to the federal government. They're written down in Article One of the Constitution. And the reason they're in Article One is that these powers are given the legislature. And uh, one of those powers is what is commonly referred to as the power of the purse. All revenue bills have to originate in Congress and a specific branch of Congress, the House of Representatives. And the reason they did this uh, is uh, there was, as people know, study their history, there one of the uh, battle cries of the revolution was no taxation without representation. And our Framers wanted to make sure that the branch of government closest to the people, represent the smallest group, have to be reelected every two years. Uh, they're the ones that are going to spend our money. Now, the the way the budget is done, the nowadays is a the president proposes the budget sent to Congress. They mm, put their own spin on it, and, they, and 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 then they pass it. But nowadays, we have trouble getting budgets approved. There's, I think, basically 12 appropriations bills that need to be uh, uh, approved, passed through Congress, and signed by the president to fully fund the government. And I think only about five of them have been. So that leaves seven bills that have been <laughs> fund parts of the government by what we call a continuing resolution. And Trump has now said that without his funding for his wall, which I believe is $5.7 billion, he won't keep signing, you know, a, a continuing resolution. So we've, we've reached this impasse. But the, the Constitution clearly gives the House of Representatives the power to originate all revenue bills. So we have a battle between the president and the House of Representatives. The president does have to end up signing this. Right now, the Republicans control the Senate. And even though the House of Representatives has passed these uh, bills fully funding the government, uh, Mitch McConnell is not letting them be brought up in the Senate for a vote where they might pass, even though the Republicans control the Senate. Right. So the basically Congress is in charge of creating the laws and part of creating the laws is creating the budget and and spending the money. Um, but in that lawmaking power, as you point out, the president signs into law and President Trump has said he's simply not going to sign this. These, like you say, continuing resolutions to keep funding the government or at least certain parts of the government until he gets a, his money for the wall. And this brings us down to, I think we're in our 23rd day of the government shutdown with no end in sight. Longest one in history. Longest one in history before that was 21 days. Um, so where do we go from here? Well, there is something called the National Emergency Act and a national emergency powers. So how does Trump move at this point in an attempt to get funding for the wall? When the Constitution was written originally, um, 
the framers understood that there were going to be times where the president was going to have to use power that simply wasn't delegated necessarily into the Constitution. Um, one of the really first examples of that, well, if we want to really go to a first example of emergency powers, you could go to the Continental Congress. Uh, and the Continental Congress certainly had very little authority, and they were passing bills uh, for the funding of the war. But if you go into our our Constitution, uh, one of the first real example of this is the Whiskey Rebellion, uh, where Congress gives Washington specific emergency powers to deal with uh, the Whiskey Rebellion was happening in Western PA. And Washington did. Washington got a militia together because Congress said he could. And then he marched out um, to Western PA to put that down. One of the more controversial uses of emergency powers historically was Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Uh, Lincoln is elected in November, doesn't take office until April. The time he takes office, I think seven states had left the Union. Uh, Congress was not in session in April of 1861 when he took office. Now, Lincoln could have called uh, the uh, the Congress back into session, but he didn't. He issued executive orders. Uh, I don't know if they were called executive orders then. But anyway, he put the blockade in place, uh, the naval blockade in the South. Um, He expanded the military. uh, The Army expanded the Navy, all without congressional consent. He was using what he saw as emergency powers. Um, it even if we take a if and, we, and that would fall under his rubric uh, of what it says in the Constitution of his command uh, commander in chief powers, right? The, yes, the commander in chief powers. Now, it, not to get too bogged down in the timeline, but let's move forward to uh, 1950 and Harry Truman. Harry Truman attempts to use the government to take over steel mills. Uh, steel workers were going to go on strike. It was during the Korean War, and he was going to use emergency powers to take over the steel mills and run the steel mills. And the Supreme Court says, sorry, you can't do that. Um, there is nowhere in the Constitution you could possibly look that says the president has the ability to intervene in a labor dispute for reasons of national emergency. So it it hems in a little bit the president. But this idea of national emergencies sort of runs rampant for most of the 20th century, culminating really in the Vietnam War. Um, after the Vietnam War, there is this sense that we fought the Korean War. We fought the Vietnam War. There was never a declaration of war. Um, and we can see Congress in the early 70s attempting to reel in the president. And we get two landmark pieces of legislation. The first one is the War Powers Act of 1973, which limits the president's ability to use the military. And the next one is in 1976 is a uh, National Emergency Act that the president can declare national emergencies. And you may not know this, Jeff, but currently we are under 33 national emergencies uh, going no, on. I did not, did know, not that. know that. Some of them are as old as 1979. They have to come up every year for renewal. And many presidents simply write a letter that says, we're renewing this for another year, renewing this for another year. The bulk of them is centered on trade. And the idea, for example, that we are going to put sanctions against Iran. Uh, well, how can we put sanctions against Iran? Well, the president can do it because he can claim national security. It's, or not, and it's an emergency. And so you can freeze funds in the United States. And most of them deal with that. Uh, this is the power Trump wants to use to get funding for the wall. Well, he's using it right now, I think, as a 
bargaining chip because he would he would like to bargain with Congress, I think, and and he came in with his reputation of of being a deal maker and and so forth. But you know, I think he's found out. And I, I don't think he. I don't think he fully understood the way our Congress works. Oh, he our doesn't understand works. how the government works. No, no. and and he I can don't leave off. I think. Yeah, well, clearly he doesn't. I, you know, and 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 the Democrats. You know, you you want to be able to put uh, someone who you're negotiating with, if you want them to come towards your side of the table, you want to be able to put real pressure on them. And it's really hard for Trump because the Democrats just won, in, especially in the House. They won a wave election. They got 40 seats, uh, won by, I, th- I think, one of the highest percentages of the vote ever in, uh, in an off-year election. Right. And they have – and they did it not by playing nice with Trump. A lot of those people owe their uh, election to op- opposing Trump and say, you know, and 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 disagreeing with the policy. So there's absolutely. I mean, I think he just tried to invite the centrist Democrats, and to maybe you thought you could split the party and maybe get some of those, well, you know, the people who who get elected in the suburbs in these areas that might go Republican. They had no interest in meeting with them. There's there's no incentive. For Democrats to give him a way out of of the shutdown. No, his popularity. If you look at the polling, uh, most Americans do not want the wall. Um, most Americans do not see a need for the wall. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. And you're right. This is sort of brinksmanship um, negotiations. That if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to shut the military. I'm going to shut the government down on a limited basis. And of course, people hate the government, so that's no big deal. People will side with me. The problem is the government is air traffic controllers. The government is your TSA operators. Right. Your government are the uh, park rangers that are manning the national parks. These are everyday people. These aren't nameless faces bureaucrats who are pushing pencils around and counting uh, paper clips. You know what I mean? These are real people with real jobs doing real work that we desperately need. And and some of them are in Trump country. Right. I think uh, John Tester out of Montana, who's a farmer himself, was, was talking about the Department of Agriculture and the fact that uh, the shutdown of the Department of Agriculture is really affecting uh, how farmer uh, farmers' uh, ability to get money that has been allocated to them, and so it's 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 creating hardship. Was there are there eight hundred thousand employees furloughed? I is believe. that what it is? Is that high? Yeah, I think it's that that much. I mean, the last time we had a long term government shutdown was with Clinton and uh, Gingrich, Gingrich, yeah. um, and that went twenty one days. And basically, the old system worked that you shut it down. You look at the polls. Who's winning the polls is, and whoever's losing the polls eventually caves and you open it up based on, uh, that dynamic. And in that time, um, Gingrich lost that. I think it was dealing welfare reform or something on those lines. But the problem is, is Trump is losing this. Um, polling is saying he's losing it. This is an unpopular His job approval ratings down a few uh, points. And, and it's been very stable. Very whatever you say, is, yeah. If if you look at Trump's polling, whatever they say, it's been very stable. It's usually like forty two or forty three percent, but now I started to see a dip under forty. Right, and even in some key demographics, um, I just read today in in the news that those people without college, white males without college degrees, which overwhelmingly support uh, Trump, that he's losing, and that he's starting to lose numbers in those categories as well because. 
as much as you may dislike the government in this sort of monolithic uh, abstract, in the end, it's real men and women going to work, doing jobs that we need done. Well, you want your IRS refund process. Right. And, then, and, and they knew that, and they were able to keep that part of the IRS open. But, but that's just an example of all sorts of things that the government does and that, that people depend on. And when the government's not doing them anymore, people notice. And it, and it also costs the, the economy a lot of money. Right. They're thinking now, I was listening to NPR on the way home from work today, and they're estimating now that we have lost more money because of the shutdown than Trump was asking for the wall that now we're in the net loss anyway. So what, who's the real winner here? Well, there isn't a winner. Um, you know, Trump isn't winning. The other side isn't winning. Uh, so what is left? And what's left is this idea of creating the emergency powers and creating uh, an emergency. And this is how it works. I, because quite honestly, this is, I, I, you and I taught government, uh, you taught a lot longer than I have, I knew very little about this. This is esoteric stuff. Yeah. This is. I had to go learn this today. This yeah. is not something that was just, and a lot of this stuff, a lot of the history I learned, um, and just what a national emergency means. And I, I wanted to use an example. I'm going to rifle through some papers here quickly. Um, of the last one of the ones that was done recently was with Barack Obama. And Barack Obama call in 2009 he had a national emergency dealing with the swine flu that, that's where we always produce vaccines but they're based on the flu they expect to be common and they can't you don't get inoculated when you get a flu shot it's not for every kind of flu in the right. world right in 2009 and, it didn't match right and they had no stocks of swine flu right right exactly swine, so, swine flu vaccine so this is 2009 and I'm not going to read the whole it, it's really just two paragraphs it says on April 26 2009 Secretary of Health and Human Services first declared a public health emergency under blah 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 okay so Secretary of Health declared an emergency then he says, now, therefore, I, Barack Obama, President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution, the laws of the United States, including the Emergency Act of 1976 and the Social Security Act of and it amended in 1985, do hereby declare uh, a national emergency. Now, he declares a national emergency. Why does he bring up the Social Security Act, very specific part of the Social Security Act? Well, let me read that part of Social Security Act to you. It says, the Social Security Act says, the purpose of this section is to enable the Secretary of Health and Human Services to ensure to the maximum extent feasible in any emergency area during the emergency period sufficient health care items and services. So basically what the Social Security Act gives the Secretary of Health and Human Services the ability to help people in Social Security with medical issues, all right? He tried that. The Secretary tried it. He's not being successful. The President steps in, declares an emergency using the law. He So now he declares a national emergency. He can now use funding from Social Security to help swine flu. But the national emergency has to be embedded in a law the, or the Constitution. The remedy he wants to impose on right. that so-called emergency. Does that make sense? Like he has – he just, he just it, it, it does, but, you know, obviously it leaves a little more open and it leaves you a, a, a little way to – circumvent what the Constitution says right. 
about the principal role of the Congress, especially the House of Representatives, being the ones that get to allocate funds. Right. Uh, and I know tr- Trump, there's been some talk about him possibly using funds set aside in the defense budget. Right, because he would have and, to make, he would have to say that I'm going to build a wall because it says this in this defense bill. Defense bill might say something along about protecting borders. Well, I'm protecting a border. It's an emergency. So therefore, now I can use defense money to do it. Well, that leads us to our third branch of government we haven't talked about, and that's the Supreme Court. Right. So when you have a dispute about something really basic like this, it's going between the executive and the legislature about who is going to uh, allocate the money and where it's going to be spent and, and what's con- what's constitutional. Well, the branch of government that decides what the Constitution means in our system is the Supreme Court. So, and, and, and the politics of this come to bear too. I imagine once it became known that we didn't have vaccines, uh, an adequate amount of vaccine to inoculate people for a swine flu uh, moms and dads all over the United States uh, thought, well, you know, it'd be nice if we had some <laughs> some of that swine flu, and 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 probably older people who you know the flu, uh, you know, regularly unfortunately kills uh, some older Americans. But I, I don't think there was it was much. I don't no, think it was no, very one, no, no one protested. Yeah, yeah, no, dang it, we don't need that swine flu stuff. Let just let them get the flu. By the way, both of my kids, just for the record, got swine flu and and managed to live. Through it. It's nasty, though. Yeah, they both got sick. Yeah. But, but, All right, go ahead. But anyhow, um, the, the wall is a whole different deal than the swine. The, yeah, the, the Supreme wall... Court is going to have something to say about this. Yeah, you yeah. were talking about the Supreme Court and that the idea that Obama was really looking at a very specific law, a very specific um, provision of a law, and declaring an emergency based on that provision. That the government, basically what Obama was saying is that this provision of the law cannot be carried out under normal circumstances. And if it can't be carried out, and this is key because this was said uh, in when they wrote the law, one of the some of the testimonies said it must something basically the the risk of death must be above normal, above that you a, a commitment or more than you would be willing to sustain. And clearly this it met all those criteria. It was embedded in the law. There was going to be deaths that we did not want to sustain. Um, so clearly now, but does the wall fit any of that? Um, and as you mentioned, the Supreme Court, this is really untested waters. You know, no one knows. I have done some reading on this and there are constitutional scholars on both sides that say this is clearly an abuse of power and will not stand. I mean, if Trump uses yes. funds from other places. And other, and other people are saying, no, he probably can get away with this. Um, so it's it's not a foregone conclusion. One way, What is a foregone conclusion is that if he does a national emergency, there is going to be lawsuits. Right. Only and, instantaneously. Yeah, and – and the courts can issue, uh, uh, you know, a, a stay. Like right. They can they can uh, keep construction from being started if they decide this, if until they decide the question. So we don't even know if he would act under, you know, act under his emergency powers if he could get started. We don't know. We, they, even that would be decided by the courts, and then. 
Um, but there's a couple things here, too, that are interesting. And, and first of all, we're talking about, I think, $5.7 is what Trump yes. wants. And people should know that doesn't build any kind of a wall. No, it doesn't. That, that's like a, a down payment on part of the wall and some parts of uh, the border between Mexico and the United States. One of the most expensive parts of, of the wall, and, that w- and it would take years and years, too, because you're also talking about lawsuits, is getting the land to build the wall on. The land has to be American land. Uh, um, Mexico is not going to grant us the, the land, just like Mexico won't pay for the wall. And a lot of people out there are probably going, well, wait, wait, I thought Trump said Mexico would pay for the wall. Well, that's not true. And lately, Trump has said, well, I didn't really mean Mexico would pay for the wall. Go back and look at the rallies. It's clear. It's clear. And he has the best words. Yeah. I mean, the man with the best words. <laughs> but I, I but he now says, I meant I would negotiate trade deals, and right. that would save That's us. not what he said. Well, and, and also the trade deal that he negotiated is not in effect now, so it's not paying for the wall. And when it goes into effect, there are no provisions in that for special fees to go into a fund for to pay for the wall. The, Mexico, even with the you know the revision of NAFTA, is not paying for the wall. So, in one way, I think Trump is trying to keep a promise, but in keeping that promise, he's already breaking it because the the promise was a two parter: I will build a wall, and Mexico will pay for it. Mexico isn't paying for it. He wants American taxpayers to pay right. for it, and there's nothing in the trade agreement. That where monies are are set aside to go to the building of the wall. It's just that's not there. And you can use some examples out there to see how difficult this is going to be. I mean, this uh, this summer I'm going to do a, a, a take a vacation out to the Midwest to, to look at the Keystone Pipeline. Um, I hear it's a beautiful thing. You know, uh, obviously the Keystone Pipeline hasn't been built yet. Um, a, a massive infrastructure project. Um, just mired in lawsuits. Um, next time you you go to California, you could you know they have this great high speed rail that goes from Northern California to Southern California. No, they don't. Um, they've had federal money and state money pending on that for ten years, and there's not a a mile of rail built yet because of lawsuits. Because it is well, every landowner. I mean, the the Constitution says that that government can take land for eminent what they call eminent domain, but they have to pay fair market value for that. And that could be contested. That's decided by the courts. So each landowner who, and I don't know how many landowners there are along the border of the United States, right? you know, can contest this. You're talking about tens of billions probably get to get the land to build the wall, whether it's steel slats or whether it's concrete. So this is just a down payment. On that, that, that's what we're talking about, and I think it becomes sort of Trump's political line in the sand that he promised this, and at least he can say, "I got five point seven billion, and we started building this in in key areas or, or think, whatever." To give you another historical example, think of the Transcontinental Railroad. Transcontinental Railroad bit, built in the late nineteenth century, zero environmental laws. Zero labor laws. Uh, they basically did anything they wanted to do. Most, a lot of that land was owned by the American government. It took them four years to build it. 
Okay. And that was with no, you know, it, it, this is not an overnight process. This is going to take decades, maybe even longer. We're not building the wall this weekend. No, no. And this is a really odd time to even have the discussion on the wall because, and I think a lot of people don't know this, but the number of em- immigrants flooding, so supposedly flooding over the border from Mexico, has gone down drastically and since 2005, 2006. And they, they used to get uh, 225,000 people uh, a month would be arrested for coming over the borders. We're now down in months of 20 to 40,000 people being arrested. So it is an odd time for this discussion and the necessity of the wall to even be discussed. Yeah, I think that's a great place to leave it because our next pod, we're going to talk about those issues. We're going to talk about what does immigration look like today? What tools do we need? And is the wall even necessary in today's world of immigration and where are immigrants coming from? So we're going to start answering those questions next time. Um, Thanks for joining us this week. And we're we're going to try to get another pod out pretty quickly uh, to tackle this other issue on immigration. Thanks a lot, guys.